So, Chris. Yes, sir. <laughs> Anthony Castro, battalion chief from Sacramento, Metro California. And he is the co-founder of trainfirefighters.com. He's the author of this book, Mastering the Fire Service Assessment Center, which is uh, just a fantastic resource. And he's also the author of, a, of several DVD series, including uh, Mastering Fire Ground Command, Calm in the Chaos, and uh, Mastering Unified Command. Uh, from hometown to homeland. He was the FDIC keynote speaker back in 2013, and last year, 2019, uh, he was the uh, George D. Post Instructor of the Year. And he's just an awesome guy. He's the, the kind of guy that uh, um, anytime we're traveling, we meet each other, we're speaking in the same area, or we're just in the same area, because one of us is speaking, we find a way to get together. And just sit down and talk about the things that uh, we believe in and we're passionate about. And a lot of times it comes down to uh, helping other people become successful. And this is what he's all about. And specifically about firefighters. You know, because this is the career that that we're in. And he's all about helping firefighters get promoted. So I think this is going to be a really great episode for people in that industry uh, that are looking to advance their career. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. You've told me a lot of great stories about Anthony, so let's uh, jump right in. Welcome to Flashpoint, the Fire Inside podcast, featuring leadership and team building principles designed to ignite your inner fire and help you reach your full potential. On our program, you will learn from professional athletes, military and business experts, inspirational figures, leaders in the fire service, and other top achievers who have reached the pinnacle of success in their chosen fields. And now your host, international speaker and best-selling author, Frank Viscuso. I'm thrilled to have my good friend, Andoni on the podcast, but, but this is the elephant in a room that I want to address before we go anywhere else. So Anthony or Andoni? Now I know, uh, I, I, right now, first of all, I know it's your, uh, your Greek heritage, but maybe yes. you can elaborate on that of what you want people to call you. Um, well, it's, a, it's kind of a running joke. So my, let me start by saying this. My official name is Anthony Andoni Castro's the second. So my middle name is Andoni which is Greek for Anthony. So technically it's Anthony, Anthony Castros, because my parents are weird. But um, uh, being the second, it, my mom wanted to call me the second after my dad said it just junior. It was the second, because everything is dramatic in the Greek culture. Yeah, so, so to answer your question more directly, Anthony is kind of how people know me as an instructor and um, author, but Andoni are what my friends call me. So you must call me Andoni. Well, I appreciate that. For the listeners, you have to earn that. For right now, it's Anthony. Um, I will tell you that your book is right in front of me, Mastering the Fire Service Assessment Center. Uh, great book. Obviously, you know how I feel about it. The only thing I wish is that I had this when I was going through my promotional cycle uh, many years Thanks, ago. Uh, but what a great resource it is. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. What made you get into wanting to help firefighters advance their career? You know, um, I'm really glad you asked that. I've been blessed to have been uh, born into a fire service family. My dad was a World War II Army Ranger and in the Pacific, and after the war, he was a volunteer firefighter. My two older brothers, Mitch and Demetrius, um, were also firefighters. Um, all of them started at Carmel Fire Department here in Carmel, California, and it's where I live. <clears throat> so. And, and my brothers were 18 and 15 years old when I was born. So when I was born, I was an Uzo baby. I, came, I was an accident. When I popped out, my dad, evidently my dad was pissed off for about nine months of my gestation. <laughs> and uh, my brothers were 18 and 15 when I was born. And they started their fire service careers at a young age. So by the time I was five, I was growing up in a firehouse and uh, climbing all over the America with France engines. And, and there was an old Laverne pumper out on the side that's now refurbished. And uh, I'd sit there and, and just play the steering wheel and just, you know, sit there and pretend like I was going to fires every day after school. And I was so spoiled, my oldest brother Mitch would pick me up in an open cab 1966 uh, American LaFrance engine from kindergarten. That's how spoiled I was. Uh, and so that put inside of me this 
this not only passion for the job, but this passion to give back what was given to me at a young age. So my brothers just poured so much into me and so many other mentors. Um, because when your parents are, are, are 52 and, you know, my dad was 52 when I was born. I'm still not the age my dad was when he had me. So, uh, you know, when, when you're surrounded by older uncles and cousins and aunts and brothers and sisters, you have this tremendous, tremendous life of mentors and coaches and people looking out for you and people teaching you and both directly and indirectly. You know, there was a lot of conversations and there was a lot of just me watching and it was such a joy. And I think that is what created this passion in me to give that back in the form because I didn't have any little brothers or sisters like my, my siblings did, but I wanted to give back. So I think that's where the teaching and the books and the videos came from was that just burning desire to give back and to teach and to watch other people uh, grow and meet their goals. And, and, and I just love that feeling. I know as you do, right? Yes. It's, well, it's what we love to do. This is what's interesting about you and me. Cause I, I, we are connected for sure because we have so many similarities in our background. Uh, we have yeah. a lot of similarities in our philosophy and how we feel about the fire service, about our family, everything. Yeah. Um, I know that one of the things that has always driven me is I like inspiring people. I like uh, when somebody accomplishes something they didn't think they could, and maybe it was that one word or sentence or phrase or something we wrote in a book, something we spoke in a seminar. Um, I like being able to provide that for people. But someone once said a long time ago, a friend of mine, we were just having a conversation, and I said, one of the things I like about you is you seem genuinely happy when other people around you succeed. And he says, yeah. he said, why wouldn't I be? He says, the way I look at it is if I can't be happy for someone else's success, then I don't deserve it myself. Exactly. Thought, right? Yeah. And that's what I love about your philosophy. Um, you're able to put into such clear terms what I think so many of us feel. And that's why so many people resonate with your work is because you say it just so clearly and profoundly what a lot of us feel. And like you just did for me just now. I, I love watching someone succeed. I get so much joy from watching someone promote or come out high on a list or overcome an obstacle. Because it's not just about getting promoted or accomplishing a goal. It's overcoming something. And right. I think that's where the baggage piece of our curriculum came in. Um, I know we're going to probably talk about that today. but Yeah, I would like you know, to one, talk about that soon. Yeah, no, I think it's important because we all have baggage. You yeah. Know? from childhood or from a, a bad boss or from a, a terrible situation, either either professionally or personally, whether it was a call or, yep. or something at home, heaven forbid, you know, and those things, those things become a hindrance to future success. They become a hindrance to accomplishing our goals. And that's why it's a big part of our curriculum is, is checking your bags at the door because everyone's got them and can you manage them and not let them affect your job or your, your future. Right. You know, I like this because on the back of your book, you have the words bridging the gap. And this is the type of book and your type of teaching. Uh, there, those things that I kind of, I kind of put them in the same category as, as uh, what I used to call the great equalizer. I used to, and I still do actually call grit as a trait, the great equalizer, because if you don't have natural talent and ability, but you have grit, you can make it up. Well, if you don't have um, years of, of a foundation of knowledge, but then you read somebody who, a book from somebody who does have years and a foundation of knowledge, you can bridge that right. gap, right? And you can, you can, uh, get from point A to point B or C or D or right. from a firefighter to an officer quicker by learning from other people. Yep. And, and so I like that. And I want to talk about that for a second. I want to talk about, about, and this can go anywhere. I'm not sure where this is going to go, but I want to talk about the concept of, you know what? I want to be an officer. I remember yeah. when I was cleaning my deputy chief's office one time as a firefighter. And I remember as I'm sweeping the office and cleaning the toilet and doing all the things you do as a firefighter, he's not in a room. And I remember thinking, you know what? Why couldn't I be a deputy chief one day? I remember vividly thinking this. And it's the first time the seed actually got planted into my head that I thought maybe one day I can make right. it to this office. Uh, talk about your thoughts on that. 
you know, and it can go anywhere. I don't care where it goes, but about when that firefighter first gets that seed. I think that uh, there's one or two reasons that people get that seed planted that you're talking about. I think one is hopefully the good reason is because they had a great role model that inspired them. Somebody, a, a, a parent, an older sibling, a cousin, an aunt, an uncle, a, a, a boss, a good officer, a chief, a company officer, lieutenant, a senior, a senior Jake who just was really inspiring. Yeah, which is more that's, times that's, the case, right? That's what you want, right? Yeah. Then there's the other one. There's the one that pisses you off and makes you crazy and says, "I'm never going to be like that." And and I hear that a lot when I'm we when we're asking people, "Why do you want to promote?" I'm sure you have, right? Yeah. Why do you want to promote? And sometimes, unfortunately, because I don't want to have the kind of boss I had, or I don't want to see the people around me promote, which, I mean, hey, if it motivates you, great, but it's unfortunate that's the case. But for me, it was it was uh, my brothers, my father, my uncles, my cousin. I had, I mean, it was, it's just insane. No. I won't bore everybody with the details, but my, my family history is just crazy. Not boring me at it's, all, my friend. What's that? Won't bore me at all with those details. I love it, man, well, because just, because that's you know, the thing about you. You have a family foundation, and I and I believe, because I've been to your classes, where you connect with the people in your class immediately. Not every speaker has that ability. You do, and that's got to be part of your upbringing. It is. When you're the youngest of five in a big, giant Greek family that's full of love and loud and says what they think all the time, and they're in your face, and they're hugging you, and they're shoving food down your mouth even though you're full, <laughs> that's just... That's that's really conducive yeah. to the fire service, you know, and so um, I think that was and still is such a source of inspiration. And then, and then the most important thing, which we had in my family growing up, and which we are instilling in our daughters, as I know you are with your kids, is faith. Yeah, you know, it's about bigger than us. When you are raised with a, a strong, firm faith in God um, and and uh, a Christian faith, I think that you innately grow up knowing there's something bigger than you, it's not about you, that there's a larger purpose in life and that there's another boss. There's always another boss ultimately with God, right? right. And so there's a there's a grounding that happens with that. And so between the love of my family growing up, the role models and then the faith, I think it really created this wonderful life that my wife and I have with our daughters and with our, and we really, I think you do the same thing. We kind of call this a ministry. You know, it's, it's a ministry because when you're able to help firefighters overcome obstacles, reach goals, and, 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 and see themselves in a way that, that they don't. Maybe see them, I see an officer when I look at them and they don't see that yet. Or I see somebody who can overcome an obstacle or I see somebody who's a champion in what they're doing or who has an amazing gift. I always tell them that, like I know you do. You see something in somebody and you tell them, I really see an amazing this in you. For example, I had a class last week, and uh, there's this one kid that just a big sweetheart of a kid. And uh, I told him, I said, "Man, you're special. You have an old soul. You have." I said, "You're going to be a great officer," and you can just see him light up. You know, you just sometimes that's all you need, right? Now, I want. I want to ask you this. I do that too, and I want to ask you why is it so hard for so many people to just be nice and give a compliment and tell people something that they see in them. Uh, and try to build them up. Why is it so difficult, or why doesn't it happen more often? I think there's I think there's two reasons. One, because like you, I'm you know having OCD is great because you think of crap all the time. <laughs> you know, it's not OCD; it's CDO because that's alphabetical. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Got to have the letters in the right order. Right? Yeah. So, I think one reason we don't is because we're still a predominantly male profession. And and guys don't tell guys, hey, I just want you to know I really see a lot of you. Hey, hey, come on, let's go over by the rig and have a cup of coffee. And let me tell you what, how inspiring yeah. you are. <laughs> that doesn't happen. We don't share emotions that much, which is to our detriment. And that, the second thing is, um, and I don't think we're comfortable with it because of that. You know, it's, it's vulnerable. Yeah, I, we don't, I can understand we don't consider that. It. We don't, we're not that considerate. Guys just aren't that considerate. The other reason is, I think, of that baggage. I think baggage, unfortunately just dampens everything. It dampens your spirit. It dampens your enthusiasm. It makes you insecure. And people fail to realize, and this is a big piece of your curriculum, people fail to realize that the best way to come out of a hole is to help someone else out of the hole. 
Yes. You know, when you lift somebody out of a hole, now they're in a position to raise you up. And it's the opposite. We're just, we're all, if we're all just scrambling to drink out of the hole, all we're going to do is bring more dirt in on ourselves. And maybe that'll help us all get up out of the hole. But what I found is, is if I'm having a bad day, the best way to change that is to help somebody else have a better day. Mm. And just, again, back to the faith, it's not about us, right? Um, and I think that, and I think a lot of people don't have that chip. They don't have that upbringing. They don't have that faith, whatever it is. They don't realize that rather than bury that baggage and get more bitter and more angry, more self-centered, more self-righteous and more, you know, recluse, they go, instead of doing all that, they, hey, step out and say, you know what? Yeah, I'm having a crappy day, but you know what? That person over there is having a worse day and I'm going to help them out. Take with, your eyes no off yourself. Of, yep. With no expectation of anything in return, right? No expectation of anything in return. What you find out is you end up being more blessed because of it. Right? Yeah, I think so. You know, when I was at a, a party recently, a firefighter who was an officer, is a captain actually now, but he approached my wife and it's the first time they'd ever met. And he says, I just want to tell you what your husband did for me. And he said, um, I was not going to take the promotional exam. But one day I was actually working a cover on his shift and we were sitting down at lunch together and he asked me, are you taking the exam? And I told him no. And he said, why? And I just said, I just don't think I'm going to take it. And, and he goes, but inside I was thinking I'm not ready or maybe I, don't, I won't score well enough. But he said to me, listen, we need someone like you in this position. And he spoke to me for a couple minutes about what he saw in me. He said, well, about 1145 that night, I went into my cubicle, opened up my computer, turned it on and registered to take the test. It's a civil service exam. Midnight was the deadline. So 15 minutes before the <laughs> deadline, he registered. And he actually said to my wife, your husband changed my life. And yeah. right. And how can that not make you feel like you did something good? And uh, I, I love that uh, feeling. Well, that feeling is addicting, isn't it? It is. It's, addic it's addicting, and and it's a good addiction, though, right? And mm -hmm. what one of the things you know, I'm really, really, really excited to watch you give your keynote uh, at FDIC this year. And I, I while you're talking, I'm thinking about when I had the honor of giving mine. One of the one of the points I said was that heroes don't just save lives; they change lives. And that's we can do that every day. Unfortunately, in this job, we don't get a, we don't get to pick if we can save somebody's life every day, right? We don't get to pick that. Oh yeah, we're gonna go into a burning building and pull some kid out, or we're gonna we're gonna get somebody back from a, a code or something, right? But you do have the choice to change people's lives every day, mm. every day. That is a choice we can make, whether it's your your wife, your husband, your kids, your coworkers, or the public. In this job, we're so surrounded by people. That just just a, 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 a you know an arm around the shoulder, a wink, a nod, a hey, good job, and, and even like you're like you're talking about you know hey you need to take the test yeah. I think you'd be a great officer, can change the trajectory of a person's life. And the thing is, well, almost wouldn't you say that most of the time you'll never know if you did or not, but uh, absolutely most of the time you, you know, will never know. You won't know, but when you do get that feedback, like you're like this gentleman who told your wife. How many people does he represent that didn't tell you? You know, right. how many people, 10, 20, 30, 100? I don't know. I well, mean, it was, an, it was an interesting, yeah, it's an interesting thing because that same night, uh, another firefighter came up to me that I hadn't seen in a while. And he said, you know, a year ago, uh, he had was the pump operator at his very first job. And I wasn't there, but I heard he did a great job and I left him a message. And I said, hey, you know, I'm proud of you. I know how hard you've been working and I just heard you did a great job and it was a very difficult one. And, and I just left him a voicemail because he wasn't, he didn't pick up. And he referenced that and said, you know, I still occasionally just listen to that voicemail because maybe he's in a situation and like, I wasn't this way. I mean, I've always had my father tell me I'm proud of you and good job right. and you can do it. Right. Many, many people, maybe they didn't have that. What I love about, about mentoring officers. Mm -hmm or it's just leaders in general, is to let them know that it is okay to catch somebody doing the right thing. And it's okay to praise them for that. And it's okay to, to uh, try to build their belief because I believe people rise or fall to meet our level of expectations for them. So if you were to yep. sit down with somebody and 
and they wanted to know that you believed in them, but you just never showed them that tough love, whatever it may be. Well, maybe they never reached their potential because inside many of us, but inside that person may be like many of us where they start to believe other people's opinions of them because they're not in that in that place in life right now where they're ready to believe in their own opinion of themselves. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, it, it makes perfect sense. And, you know, I know that's one of your principles is to catch people doing something right. And I think it's, it's not just okay. It's critical. Yeah. It's critical because there are so many people, like you just said, that don't have that role model. They didn't have that parent. They didn't have that coach growing up. And so, they, without even knowing it, they be baked into them is this this opinion of of of, uh, of authority figures of being critical and judgmental and, and not nurturing. So fast forward, and now they're a firefighter, and they just struggle with the lieutenant all the time or the captain. But when that one officer comes along and does say, "Hey, great job," you know, "Wow, what you did on that fire was really something," and being specific about it, not just generally, "Oh, good job." But, but, hey, you know, the way you stretch that first attack line, man, that was the right spot. Perfect way to go. That really hopefully can break that wall down that's in their heart. You know, that wall that, that take that one brick down that was put up by somebody else 20 years ago when they were a kid. You know? and, and there's a lot of people who I think they mistake this message and say, well, how can I maintain order and discipline if I'm telling people every time they did something right? I think it's easier. Because now when you tell them when they did something wrong, they know that it's not personal. Because if that's all you ever tell them is what they did wrong, eventually they're, they're going to think, you know, why do I even bother? And it's going to... Why do gonna, I bother? Why do I bother? Uh, you know, why do I bother is a great reality. Um, you know, I think that uh, you're right when you say it's easier because especially... I mean, everybody wants to be praised, even though they'll say, oh, I don't care about that. They do. They care. Um from their boss, from uh, their parent, from a big brother, a big sister. Um, and what's what are, the people who I think are the most um, really amazing people who didn't have the good role models, maybe had a bad childhood, but had a, but made, but made a great life for themselves. And by and the way, I look at the history books because history is full of people like that. So they exist. Right. They exist. And some of the best people in history, like you say, had terrible childhoods. Mm -hmm. But man, what a life they made. They, they, they weren't a victim. And that's that, I think, is a problem with today's uh, society in some cases. We're too easy to label people as victims or label ourselves or tell people to label, to label themselves as a victim or you're a victim. Right. right. Now, it's called life. We, we all... Some of it's really unfair, and there are victims certainly of, of ghastly atrocities. And when when a parent loses a loved one, a, a child to a shooting, they that's a victim. But I think that that term is used a little too flippantly, and to the detriment of the person you're saying who's a victim. You're 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 handicapping that person yeah. instead of saying no, you're an overcomer. You are you're a you know you. One of the three things we tell our daughters all the time is you're smart, you're strong, and you're wise, you know? That's awesome. And just, you know, all the time. Now, you let know, me ask you, how do, how do you do that? Do you just say it just like that? Like when you're putting them to bed or you say yeah. it in your conversation? Both. We yeah. just say, you know, you know, you are strong, you are smart, you are wise. You know, you are, uh, and, and we'll say it during bedtime. We'll say it just out of the blue. You know, or we'll say, who's strong, smart, and wise, right? And, and, you know, and they go, me, you know, I am. And just, it's, it's baked into them yeah. because we want them to be smart and use their mind. We want them to be strong and realize that they're not a victim and be wise and with their heart and say, you know what? Wisdom comes from the Bible, not from, from, uh, their own thinking or, or the world or even mom and dad sometimes, yeah. but, but God won't let you down. And, so they know the Bible. They we read the Bible to them all the time. We pray all the time. And so what I love now is it's really cool because our girls are different ages. They're they're separated by six years. So our oldest is fourteen. So she's right in the middle of that teenage craziness. <laughs> and our little one's eight. Good luck. Yeah. Oh, holy moly! <laughs> but she's amazing. It's not yeah. her. It's the world that she's right. in. It's I just get it. Nuts. And and. Uh, but what's cool is is watching how she mentors her little sister 
And what's cool is watching her navigate life and seeing all the biblical principles that we put into her, seeing her use those in her life. Yeah. You know, she's dealing with, you know, whether it's bullies or unfair situations or the world or whatever it may be. So it's, but you know what? Um, I know you and I would never look to micromanage uh, our team or our members or talk down to them. And so when I, so when I say this, this is not my intent, but when I say that being an officer, being a company officer is like being a parent. Yes. I don't mean that in a derogatory, they're, they're, they act like children, even though they do. <laughs> well, sometimes but, that, yes. I, I, I know you what know. you mean though, because you, you, you have to set the example. See, one day I was out, um, well, I should tell you this first, before I tell you what happened that led to this. My wife was out with our five-year-old son at the time, and she called me up and she said, you'd be so proud of him. I said, I am proud of him. She goes, but you'd be really proud of what he did today. I said, what did he do? We were walking in the supermarket, she said, and he saw a man wearing a hat and recognized that he was a veteran. So he walked up to him, raised his hand and said, sir, thank you for your service. At five years old, wasn't told to do it. Now, when she's telling me this, I'm thinking, I, I don't remember ever telling my boys to do that, but I do remember a few months earlier, we're at a restaurant, a pizzeria, and I saw a man who was a veteran and I went up and I shook his hand and I came back and my boy said, Daddy, who's that? I said, I don't know, but that man's a veteran. He served our country and, and just like Grandpa did. And I said, remember how we talked about how we get to live the life we have because of men and women like Grandpa and that man. I just wanted to thank him. And right. so when we're having this conversation on the way out, my youngest, who was the one that did this, said, can I go meet him? I said, yeah. So he walked over, I said, I just want to introduce you to my boys. And they shook his hand and we walked out. Months later, he does this on his own. And I tell that story at my seminars because um, I, the things you do at the kitchen table, your firefighters that you're leading are going to do. The way you talk to people, the way you talk about people, the way you act, um, your demeanor, everything. And the things yeah. you do when you're dealing with the public are the things that they're going to do. They'll emulate some of that. And we have to be aware that we're always influencing people, whether you know it or not, when the attention's on you, you are always influencing people. And that starts way before you become an officer, by the way. Oh, doesn't it? I mean, it, it's, it starts so, so early in life and as a parent and uh, as, a, as a senior firefighter in a firehouse, you're not, you're not an officer, you're, you just, but you have influence on the probies. Um, I have a saying, I, I don't know where I heard it. It's not, I don't, I'm pretty sure it's not original, but, um, mm -hmm. But I'm sure you've heard it. Maybe you coined the phrase, firefighters aren't, don't always listen, but they're always watching. Yeah, I actually never heard that one, but I totally, totally understand it. You know? But if and you say that on. three times and you don't know who to, who to credit it, you take the credit yourself. That's the rule, uh, right? Okay, so let me say it two more times before you do. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, and that's, 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 the, that's the parenting part, right? Yeah. Our kids don't always listen, but they're always watching. Yeah. And they that example and good, bad, or indifferent or ugly. And, um, let me ask you a question. How, yeah. when you, when you had a moment where you just know, man, I just screwed that up in front of everybody, you know, um, how did you handle it when you knew you had to own something that you messed up? You know, it depends on, on what the situation is, but I do remember one time when I felt I, uh, I didn't perform the way that I knew I was capable of and should have. And I'm specifically talking about on the fire scene. And I remember um, coming back to work the next day and, and pulling some of the guys that I worked with together and saying, uh, I made some mistakes. Yeah, I didn't do what I'm supposed to do the way I'm supposed to do it. And I think uh, ultimately we all agreed because we had a conversation. We all agreed that it didn't affect the outcome, but in my mind, because I didn't perform, and I want to talk to you on your show about this, by the way, because this, you know, you do the, the show on command. Uh, in my mind, I'm thinking this could have been a disaster had I not done X, Y, and Z. And, and, and that ate me alive. See, I'm a guy that um, I don't need a critic because I'm my own worst critic. 
So when a chief or a boss or somebody were to come down on me, as much as I never really liked it, because who does like being uh, harshly criticized, because that happens in life, um, nobody could criticize me as harshly as I do. And I remember talking to uh, a couple of the guys and them saying, actually, I don't think, based on the information you had and the decisions that were made, you, you couldn't have made a different decision. Right. You know, there's nothing would have changed the outcome. I said, I, I know, but I'm not proud of my performance. The point being, I own it. But there, I do it for two reasons. I own it because now I can say, all right, they know I'm human. Um, and they know that I don't walk around thinking that I'm perfect and I don't make mistakes. I've never had a perfect fire in my career. Not once. Okay. Right. So, but number two, I want them to know that they can trust me too. So if they make some mistakes and they want to sit down with me and say, hey, chief, um, the other day, and this has happened multiple times in my career where a firefighter came up. He, one firefighter came up to him one time and said, hey, I made a mistake at the kitchen table. I said, what happened? He said, we had a firefighter from another group working with us. And he asked the question. We were doing a drill on the radios. He asked the question about um, if I'm on talk around and I hit um, – and I key the mic. Does it go to channel one to the dispatcher? And he turned to one of his newest firefighters and said, why don't you answer that? And this firefighter had a couple months on a job and the firefighter answered it. So he turns to the one that was working for the day on that shift that asked the question and said, he's been here for a couple months. You've been here for a couple years. How come he knows that and you don't? Right. Right. Everybody. right. <clears throat> Now, and he's telling me this story, and I just did what you did. I'm like, oh, he goes, yeah, I know. I realized immediately I shouldn't have handled it that way. And we talked about it. And I said, you know what? You're a great officer in the way that you train your firefighters. And we're in a situation here now where he maybe comes from a, a different group where the officer's not as good as you in training. So it's not his fault that he's behind in some areas. But what is the likelihood now of him ever wanting to ask you another question for the rest of his career, unless that gets fixed? Zero, you know? And he recognized that. And we talked about steps to take to to fix it. Um, The part that I I like about the story is that he did figure that out on his own, and he did come to me and say, I made a mistake. Um, But that's the kind of relationship I want with any team I'm on. If you make a mistake, come to me, talk about it. And nine out of 10 times, we talked about this on this podcast before. Firefighters don't come to work saying, today I really want to mess up. I want to do yeah. something so bad that- So stupid. Right. So I stupid almost, that right. I could possibly lose my job. No. Yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> so- <laughs> That'd be so fun. Yeah. Right. I mean, I can't wait to explain this one. To, it's going to make a great story. Oh, Listen. I hope this makes the headlines. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I want that relationship with my teammates, you know. At the same time, I want, to, I want them to know that they're expected, just like I'm expected, to correct our mistakes, you know, because the mistake made twice or three times or four times is no longer a mistake. It eventually becomes a choice. And, you know, that's the balance. For me, you know, we're actually talking – this is an interesting podcast because I wanted to talk to you about, hey, how do we – how do we help a person transition from I'm a firefighter to want to be an officer? And I think right now we're talking about how to be just a, an officer or a leader or just a good person. But And that's that's the first – and really that's the way to answer the first question. Yeah. Now finish. Because, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean that's the thing is, is – I mean how many times have you been asked what do I need to know for the test? You know, what are they looking for? What do I need to know for the test? What yeah. are they looking for? What was on the last test? What are they going to ask me? And I'm, and that's where our whole philosophy of it's not about the test, it's about the job first. That's that's what it's about. And being and the job is about being a good human being. Hmm. And one of the analogies that I use is look, we wouldn't accept it if a paramedic said, Hey, I'm pretty good with airways. I'm I'm decent with airways, but man, I suck at drug dosages. I screw that up all the time. We wouldn't be like, Oh, okay, you're a good paramedic. We'd be like, oh, no, that's Time out. It's you not acceptable. Good at everything. Yeah. Not acceptable. But how often do we accept from an officer, oh, yeah, he, he or she's great on fires, but they're a terrible people person. Or, you know, he or she is a great person to talk to, trust them, but, man, on fires, they fold like a cheap tent, right? Mm. It's not okay. Not acceptable. Yeah. And and, and the, the foundation, and, and this is where I know you and I 
or you know, one of the things we agree on, uh, on many, is that you have to be a good human being. Yeah. And <clears throat> we all have natural strengths, weaknesses, traits that are not necessarily conducive to being a good officer. So the way I answer the question to people on start is like, look, you need to, you, like Brunacini used to say, it's, you have to do an occupational autopsy on yourself. You have to, you know, you have to do an occupational MRI, CT scan, X-ray, blood work, urinalysis, um, you know, spinal tap, and really understand who you are as a person before you can understand who you're going to be as a leader. Yeah. And that's so pivotal. And because as a paramedic, there's technical skills. We break it down into things like, you know, the, the uh, ALS skills and trauma and all these things, drug dosages, et cetera. Can they, can they work a code? Well, when you're dealing with an officer, it's about people skills the whole time. Yeah. And it's the technical aspects of being, of being an officer aren't nearly as critical as the human aspects. And if those don't jive, if your personality is innately um, abrasive, critical, uh, non-nurturing, all those things, you're, you're going to struggle as an officer. So it doesn't really matter what the heck they ask you on the test. Yeah. Because it's not going to even come close. And so <clears throat> I know from, so one of the things we do in our workshops is we talk about a self-assessment and it's in the book. There's a 40 question self-assessment. And I tell, I tell our students, look, I'm by nature, a judgmental, critical, impatient, temperamental jerk, pretty much. You can ask my wife. <laughs> and <clears throat> that comes from the parts of my upbringing that I, that I have that go along with the good, though. And, and the one that kind of stands in the balance that can go, that's on the fence and go either way is my passion. It's that Achilles heel. I can be passionately, wonderfully inspiring or passionately angry at you and make you feel terrible. Uh. And that's the kind of the... the, the um, conduit or the mortar that holds all those bricks of personality traits together. And so to be an effective officer, I had to learn how to be patient, how to listen, how to slow down, how to be empathetic, how to, how to, to not be critical and to, and to really, like I said, listen more than talk. And, you know, coming from an Italian or Greek family, you know, we're talkers, we're eaters. We talk, our mouths are always moving, either talking or eating. <laughs> and, um, that means that the other senses are, are not necessarily as well-defined and evolved, you know? So. Yeah, I can say that it's almost a daily occurrence with me where my mouth is moving, words are coming out, and my mind is saying, Frank, you sh you're supposed to be listening right now and you need to shut yeah. up, you know, <laughs> like you've jumped the shark. It's time to back up and... and and uh, it happens more than once, and and that's okay. I totally get that. I'm like you. I'm a passionate person uh, in in many ways. Uh, you know, I think the difference between us and and a lot of people that I see is is because uh, I have a lot of the same traits as you. You're and I we're both very forgiving people. If somebody makes a mistake, uh, and we do have our differences with somebody, I can let it go very easily and never look back. But there's people, and sometimes they reach leadership positions. That can hold a grudge for twenty years. Ugh. It's dangerous to be around them. It's it's, it's it, that's a great way to put it. It is dangerous because they're like a ticking time bomb. Mm -hmm. You never know when they're gonna. You never know when they're gonna uh, pull that out. Right. Something that happened. I was watching. I was watching a TV show. I don't know if you've seen it. It's on uh, Netflix. It's called Last Chance You. Have you seen that? I have. Yes. So yeah, it's do you a remember series. the scene where? Yeah. Yeah. You remember it was like one of the last episodes with the coach who became known for being terribly temperamental. Yeah, his, you know, his, his when he's yelling at his, and... Remember that? He's yep. yelling at the offensive coordinator and he says, you can't, if you might have been able to pull that on, on your ex-wife, you can't pull that on me. He does that in front of everybody yep. on film, yep. during a game, in front of the players. And this guy was a saint. This guy was his number one supporter. He was trying to be, he was advocating for this coach despite him. And I saw that, and I'm like, wow. Yeah. Wow. And that guy, what's interesting is the coach would always, in the private conversations when he wasn't on the football field or the, or he wasn't on the practice field, and he was just talking and being interviewed, he's this nice, calm guy. I, well, I have to work on that. I have to work on my temper. I hate seeing myself that way. And right. 
after the first season. Remember how after uh, the first the, season? Yep. How he referenced that and said – because he saw himself. He saw himself. Yeah. And, and, and But how hard was it for the poor guy to change? Right. And, and, it, and it hurt the team. It hurt – it hurt the team. It hurt his coaching staff. And, and a lot of them left and didn't come back because of that. And the wanting to change isn't enough. That's the hard part for some folks who want to be officers is they want to be officers really bad. They might even want to change, but that does that's not enough. That's you have to take enough. action. And you have to know that. And this is something I've been thinking about a lot lately. You, know, you think about a river that moves through a valley and it moves that way for, for decades. And it moves that way because the, that's the, the path of least resistance. And it's going to continue and the water will continue to move that way unless it's somehow diverted. And that river represents our thought patterns. And the problems and challenges you have in your life are never going to be solved by the same thinking that put you there in the first place. Yep. So at some point you have to say, you have to look in the mirror and say, all right, I need to change. I've had to, I've had to do this multiple times in my life. I know you've done this in your life. I mean, even when I sit here and we talk and, and you describe who you are and some of your shortcomings, uh, I do the same thing, you know, and, and I know that uh, I can improve in every area of my life. And one of the things that I used to do, by the way, is I used to compare myself to people. And the thing about, and this is a very dangerous thing to do, because when right. you were to c compare yourself to somebody, when you do that, you're never picking somebody that you're actually, you know, more successful in in one area or another. You're, you're, you tend to compare yourself to other people that maybe reach the pinnacle of success in an area where you struggle and say, man, you know what? And it makes you feel like you're not good enough. At least that's what I was doing. And mm -hmm. it was constant. It would happen in sports when I was younger. Hey, man, how come... Uh, you know, these guys are dating the pretty girls and, and I won't even go up and talk to them because I was uh, had an inferiority complex. And, and, and these guys are, are working harder uh, in athletics. And I'm sitting there thinking, I don't know if I if I have what it takes to be successful. Maybe if I just worked a little harder, I could have succeeded in a different area of my life. Like that part of me, uh, you know, all the way to, hey, you know, your neighbor that that makes so much money on a, on the, on the surface anyway. It's dangerous right. to do this. It's really dangerous today, by the way, because today people are only posting on social media the things that make it look like their life is perfect. Oh, right? isn't that disgusting? It is. I and mean, so, image management. Image management. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, image management. So you look at that and you think, man, you know, I wish my life was more like that. But then if you really got into the, the into their home for maybe 24 hours, you think. Find a facade. Yeah. For about five minutes. Yeah, right. That's, that's profound. And. I have, again, not me, I heard it somewhere, but comparison kills contentment, right? Mm. For that one. Comparison kills contentment, you know? Unless you're comparing yourself to how it could be and how fortunate you are. Right. Or how blessed you are. And that's the thing is, it's human nature to, to look at negative and, and, and just focus on the negative. And wouldn't it be amazing if firefighters, with all the death and destruction and loss and heartache that we see over the course of a 30 plus year career, wouldn't it be amazing if that resulted in us counting our blessings and going, wow, yeah. you know what? That, that family just lost everything. Or wow, that mom just lost her child. Or, you know, terrible thing. Wouldn't that be amazing if instead of us um, bearing all that negativity down and then it sprouts up later in, in our own negativity wouldn't it be amazing right. if, the, if we were able to count our blessings and go wow and you call your family and say wow you know so thankful for you or yeah or but that's just not human nature is it I don't know. yeah maybe it's not. I, I think what i see a little bit too much of in our industry is the keyboard warriors right the keyboard commanders where they're going to go on and they're going to they'll, they'll take that two-minute video clip from a fire scene where even you and I can look at and say, man, they should not be doing that. But we would say it in the conversation and maybe sit down at the kitchen table and show it on a video to the firefighters we work with and say, look, this is not the right way to do it. But some of them go right on social media and just start slamming and bashing and, and with no credentials behind it. But they no, do it. And oftentimes less experienced than the people they're bashing. They'll, they'll look at you know, some large metropolitan fire department right. from the comfort of their, you know, one fire a year agency. 
Yeah, and they do that. I, I would like to move away from that. You know, I think that's that technology has moved a lot quicker than our ability to adapt and say, well, hold on. Uh, because, you know, we have this whole anti-bullying campaign that, that, that we've been talking about for years. And then you go on social, go on any professional athlete's Instagram. And you tell me if we've made any progress. Because people will just go on there <laughs> and just slam them outright it happened i mean i have yeah. a few friends that are professional athletes and we've talked yeah. about this extensively they have to just shut it down they don't even read their comments half the time they probably can't huh you yeah. can't i imagine that must be because you think it's because people feel like hey you know you're out there you're making all this money so i'm entitled to say whatever i want about you and you have to take it because you get paid so much is that you think is that you think what's happening or maybe it's that you know maybe there's this feeling of well you know what not only yeah i'm i'm paying you money just because i you know um come into these games and they and i expect more or maybe it's well you have a great life and i just want to sit here and make myself feel better by criticizing you because if you're going to get paid 13 million dollars a year you better produce because you know i'm the, I, I don't know what it is exactly i don't know what it is um well well it's the it's and this is in the book too um in part of our classes you've heard me talk about the recliner snipers yeah yeah, the recliner snipers—they're not just in the fire service. It's human nature, right? That's why there's news. <laughs> Walt Disney I mean, called them the lawnmowers. They never leave their own backyard, but they just want to cut everybody down. Exactly. You know? Perfect. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Those recliner snipers—they sit back in their recliner at the firehouse. You know, oh, that's stupid. That dumb. You know, you yeah. can try to promote. You'll never make it. You know. Well, oh, that- you had an idea. That'll never work. Now, this is good, though. I like this because you just said you're going to try to promote. You'll never make it. See, that that happened to me. I don't know why you're wasting your time even studying. There's nobody going to be – nobody's going to be leaving. Nobody's going to be getting promoted off the list. And, and three end up getting promoted, the deputy chief, off that list. And I don't even remember. I think, uh, you know, the same thing may happen to me when I was going for captain. Let's talk about that for a second. Now, let's just say somebody – says, I'm ready to go. I want to get started. I want to, what's the first step you would recommend them do? Ask themselves why. Yeah. Why do they want to be an officer? And they may have to recalibrate that answer a little bit. Um, if it's about them, well, you know, I, I want to promote because I want, uh, the, I want, I'm thinking about my retirement. I want to have a better pay for, and pension or whatever. That's not necessarily wrong, but it's certainly alone by itself not worth it. Um, and I think they, what I asked them, the reason I asked them why is because I want to know if they know what they're getting into, what they're asking for. And then that builds a foundation for them to develop their, their message. What is their message, whether it's in the process or once they have the job, who are they as an officer? How do you see yourself as an officer? Mm-hmm. Are you going to be aggressive and, and engaged and training a lot? Are you going to be a mentor or are you just going to kind of, you know, get by and, and it's, and really it's about you. <clears throat> and I think you and I have been around long enough to know when they're, when they're telling us what we want to hear versus what yeah. they're, they're honest. So we kind of get through that. So the first question is why, and then who are you going to be as an officer? And then we start asking them questions about, um, that self-assessment, you know, have you thought of this? Have you thought of this? Do you realize it? And, and um, that's kind of the beginning of the big, long conversation that leads to the plan, that leads to the training, that leads to the hopefully the job. And then it's perpetuates. Yeah. So, you know, you, you talk in, it's on actually page 59 of your book. You talk about getting your significant other involved. Yeah. Talk about that for the married men and women. So... One of the biggest things we've seen with those who want to promote is they, they, they operate in a silo. And that's kind of how work is. is they go away for their 10 shifts a month, and they, they're kind of away in their own world. And they come home for 20 days a month, and maybe they work some overtime, or the family comes to visit or whatever. But we firefighters love to compartmentalize and silo things. And part of that promotion is that they just kind of do it in a vacuum. They, and I said, look, you have a wife, a husband, a significant other in your life, your kids, who all want your time and they all love you and they all want to be part of what you're doing. And you can't just put them over here in this corner 
you have to mix that in with the overall plan. And so ask your significant other, what, how's this going to affect you? Why, what would be a benefit to you if I promote? It's not going to be the same goals and reasons you want to promote. So for example, <clears throat> for me, when I went for, from captain to battalion chief, my wife was all in, not because of the white helmet, not because of the gold bugles, not because of the rays, not because of any, but you know what she, why she was in was because we were about to have our first child and she realized, so she's going, you're telling me that if you're a battalion chief, you won't be going in the burning buildings as much? I said, no, I'll, I'll probably be either commanding the, 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 the fires or a division or group supervisor kind of in and out or a safety officer. Some, some, so I won't be that you know, first in going in with a nozzle kind of thing. So that appealed to her. So she saw that this is less risk and therefore a, um, a higher probability of coming out one piece and a higher probability of living a longer life with our children. And so those reasons are what got her bought into me going for battalion chief, which were different than mine. Right. Completely. Um, and so then it became a discussion and a, and a plan together. So for example, let's say you're going to go to Disney world with your family and that's going to happen in a month from now. And you're going to spend a week at Disney world. Well, that's great. But what if the test is two weeks after that can either be a daily struggle where you fight every day over study time. And then when you're at Disney world, you know, you're, you want to study and while you're in line for the, you know, for magic, uh, or for, uh, for, uh, you know, one of the rides for Peter Pan or, Right, it's the Caribbean or Epcot, you're, you're, you know, you're studying, you're looking on your phone or at night when you're back at the hotel, the kids want to play or do something or, or, you know, have dinner and you're studying. That can be a battle every single day. Or yeah. you can get you can get the family involved and say, look, this is this this week at, at Disney World. I promise you I won't talk about the test. I won't study for the test. I won't even refer to it or even think about it. However, you know, the month leading up to that and the two weeks after, I need to really be engaged and just build the plan together. And uh, so many firefighters don't do that. And I think that's helped a lot of them because uh, we can't do with our without our families. Right. We can't do it. No, you're right. You're right. And it, and it is the, uh, a huge motivator. And I remember when I was studying for my promotional exam for deputy chief and I wrote about this in Step Up and Lead. But I had, well, first of all, I should explain our test. It is a, a written scenario, two written scenarios, actually, on a fire and a non-fire. And then it is an administrative scenario and a supervision scenario. We read the scenario. Uh, we have maybe 10 minutes to take notes. And then we come in and we actually give our, for 10 minutes, our, our um, answer as to how we would address this issue. Well, for more than 30 days leading up to that exam i gave myself the test every single day you have to understand that's a couple hours every day a couple hours of reading a scenario taking my notes waiting about 30 to 40 minutes maybe even later on that evening i mean sometimes i would do this at 8 a.m and then later that evening i would sit down to actually uh give my answers and practice my answers because i wanted to, i didn't know how much time i was going to have or anything i put every every scenario i remember one time i went to pick up chinese food and while i'm waiting for the chinese food i'm doing scenarios just waiting for it why because this is just me right here let me right. do it right. but i would do it every single day for more than 30 days i studied for way longer than that but i wanted to do this so on game day it was like just another day you've been right. doing this for me it was Taking the test that day, the only difference was it was different people that were looking at me. It wasn't my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife. Um, it was different people who were looking at me and different people I was giving these answers to. And I think that's important. You know, I think yeah, there were people that showed up that day that the first time they were actually giving the test or, or actually verbally giving answers to the test was, was right, the test? Yeah. right there at the test. You know, and that's yeah, like showing that's, up for a fire saying, hey, I read how to put out a fire in this book and it was a great book. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm just going to show up and, and we'll figure it out. I think that's a great point because and this is something that drives me nuts. I'm really glad you brought this up because so many firefighters, we're competitive. We have egos and we and we procrastinate. Those three things are not don't bode well for promoting. <laughs> OK, right. Because. Firefighters wait till the last minute. 
to do things. And waiting till the last minute, like you just said, for an assessment center, for the actual skills of the job is not a good strategy. So for those of you watching and listening, please don't do that to yourselves. Give yourselves time, like, like Frank just said, to do the sets and reps, to get that time in. Because you're talking about changing a skill set, not just memorizing a principle. Like, you know, this, these aren't true and false answers. These aren't multiple choice. This is a skill set that you have to demonstrate. Right. And that doesn't happen overnight, and it doesn't happen if you cram the night before. It comes over time. Right. Just like any other skill set. So, but what firefighters do is they think, oh, the written's first. I got to do that. I'm going to focus on the written first. And after the written test, then I'll deal with the assessment center. Problem is, the assessment center oftentimes can be one week to two or three weeks right after the written. So, you've given yourself a one to three week window for something that is often 60 plus percent of the test. Mm. So that's just the statistics. Let's talk about the actual job for a minute. There's no way on earth you're gonna be as prepared if you prepare for two, one to three weeks than you would have if you would have spent the last year preparing. And the skill sets are truly critical skill sets that could, could be life and death. Right. It takes time to develop life and death decision-making where you have to make decisions that are life and death in a compressed time frame with limited information. And you and I both know that, that you don't show up with all the information and all the time that you want to make a critical decision in real life. When you pull up to a house fire, you can't analyze it while it burns to the ground. You have to make decisions with limited information in a compressed time frame. The test is the same way. You're gonna have a compressed amount of time, you're gonna be timed, and you're not gonna be given all the information you want, just like in real life, to make a critical decision. That in and of itself is a skill set. So <clears throat> uh, we all know uh, one of our mentors was uh, and is John Mittendorf from right. LA City, and he, you know, he wrote one of the earliest quintessential books on interviews for promotion. And a full circle moment for me was at FDIC when we were in the author's booth, where you and I have spent a lot of time together. And he was asking me, "What's the difference between an interview and an assessment center?" Because when John retired from LA City. He had never experienced assessment centers. They came after he left. So it was all about the interview up until then. Well, in 2007, we went to LA City and did an assessment center workshop. And these firefighters, you know, they're like, what is an assessment center? They never even heard of it before. Right. <clears throat> and they came to find out what I told John, which was this. An interview, in an interview, I can tell you whatever I want. I can make up everything I want. I could say I can bench 300 pounds 10 times and you got to believe me, right? In an assessment center, you walk in the door, there's a bench with 300 pounds and they say, show us. You can't fake it. Yeah. It's about performance and, and, and doing that the night before, I mean, it doesn't make any sense, right? It doesn't make any sense. I talk to our students about the combat challenge and I say, look, for those of you who, who compete in the combat challenge, you don't go the night before and work out, do you? No, you work out for months at a time. You put it together a plan. And the other thing I think that you and I both tell people, which is equally critical, is this is about real life. This isn't just about a test because you get promoted. Your first day, you could have actual life and death decisions. Absolutely. Before you. And if you think that gaming the test and telling them what they want to hear is a strategy, A, it won't work in the test, and B, it'll make you a terrible officer, and C, People could get hurt or killed because of that. Mm. And I tell people about my first day in the, in the battalion chief vehicle. My first day in the BC buggy ever was July 4th, 2005, on a red flag day in Sacramento, California. Mm. And for those of you that are, that are not from California, red flag day means bad stuff's going to happen. Yeah. And it's when the, the relative humidity is down, the temperature is up, and the winds are, are going nuts. And I had 14 working fires my first day in the BC button. Wow. And if I had relied only on the written test or gaming the system or cramming to the last minute, not only would I probably not have been sitting in that vehicle because I wouldn't have made the list, but I certainly would not have come close to being as effective to keep the troops safe and accomplish the mission that day. <clears throat> and um, I fell back on my training. And like you said, you know, we fall back on our training. Yep. People rise to the level of expectation and fall to the level of training. Mm. And and um, I was just, I treated every fire that day. I had structure fires, people trapped. 
I had uh, multiple grass fires, grass fires into structures, and I treated every single fire like it was a simulation exercise because that's the only experience I had. Yeah, was doing simulation, but that training, like you said, those sets and reps, paid huge dividends. You know, you have so, a you have a, a very popular video. I don't know if it's still on YouTube about the El Camino fire. Is that still up? Yeah, you know, it is. It's still. It's pretty awesome if nobody, or if you're listening to this and you haven't watched it, I would suggest you go take a look at it because, um, uh, and I won't, I know we're out of time now, but your crew made a rescue and, and it was, uh, a very great example of taking command and, uh, just setting the right tone right from the beginning. And I, and I commend you on it. I thought that was great. So, you know, that just watching that, that's the one thing about social media and YouTube and things like that, that we don't talk about enough. You can get a great education too, if you choose to go in it for that. But if you're not looking for uh, ways to learn, you're going to get dragged down into the mud on, on, on these wrong sites and platforms where people are bashing each other instead of going there and saying, you know, what can I do different? When I was younger, I remember I just had an example of, hey, never let your, your, um, host stream touch a primary line okay great bad things happen but now go on YouTube and watch it because there's 20 30 40 videos of it where, where people actually captured what happens online and that's with anything you want to search uh, right. so I mean this is a great resource you could use I know you're on there uh, as we wrap up I want to uh, just ask you how can people get a hold of you where can they find you well thank you for that um they can find me at, at uh, trainfirefighters.com. That's trainfirefighters with an S on the end.com. And um, our email is info at trainfirefighters.com. And we're going to be in Chicago. My team is going to go to Chicago in April to do an assessment center class in West Chicago. I'll be in um, Anaheim, California in April, also the same week. And also be in El Dorado Hills, California at the end of that. And what we're doing now, I think you know about this. You mentioned the Calm the Chaos and that, that El Camino fire. That's one of the videos that we showcase in that workshop. So now what we're doing is a five-day incident command workshop. It's called Mastering Fireground Command, Calm in the Chaos. And it's five days. The first two are operational level, and the last three days is a train the trainer. So if anybody out there is interested in a train the trainer incident command and tactics workshop where we, we train you to train your people, so build your cadre in-house, to train your people on incident command using NIMS, ICS, and, and all the stuff we teach, let us know. We're doing that all over the country. It's gone crazy. Um, and we're also doing a unified command workshop. We've been doing that for years as we speak. Our team is doing that today in the Bay Area out here in California on unified command for things like active shooter. So all that can be found at trainfirefighters.com. I want to show something real quick. Give me one second. You I'm going to get up and get something. You got I want to show you something <clears throat> real quick. Because I think it's profound. You talked about you talked about the El Camino fire. Yeah. This is this is that crew. Can you see that? Yes, I can. This is that crew and that little boy. Wow. This is what this is why we do this. Yeah. And I show that fire and I show this picture to our students and I say, look, this is why we're here. We're not here for your paycheck. We're not here for your ego. We're here for this little guy and his family. Mm. And this crew, I get I get credit for this fire. It's not me. It's these guys. This crew, this engine and truck, the first in engine and truck did an amazing job. They did, did BES. And this little guy who you see in the video who is limpless and, and lifeless on the gurney, this mm. is a week later after an induced coma for a week in a ventilator, he walked out of the hospital. Wow. That's what all this is about. This, that's what you and I do is, is this and building teams that do that. And that's... That's really what it's about. And when God gives you a, a chance to make a grab like that, you don't want to look back and go, wow, we screwed that up because we didn't train. So thanks for the opportunity today, my friend. Thank you, man. That's a great way to end. I really appreciate you. Uh, and I look forward to seeing you soon at FDIC. It's going to be a blast. Yeah. We're going to have fun. You too, brother. I can't wait to hear your keynote. It's going to be awesome. I'll be in the front row. Well, thank you. Thank you. Listen, man, I, I, and I, I love you. You know that I'm not uh, – gonna pull any punches with the way i feel about you uh, you are a guy that one day we had a conversation uh, that uh, i was talking about some of the challenges i was going through at work 
And then I said a couple of things. Uh, you asked how the family was, and I said a couple of things about my family. And then we spoke a few days later, and I remember you saying, you know, it's an interesting thing, because when you were spoken, when you were talking about work, I could see how heavy it was on you. And then you started talking about your family, and your entire demeanor changed. And I thought, you know what? That's right. That, that's how we have to think when we're going through a challenge, is you have to think about uh, why we're doing it. You know, we're doing it. what we should be focused on because there's plenty of good out there. And sometimes we, we dwell on the bad. And as an author of, of books and videos and seminars like you, uh, I remember one time I found a website where I had 25 reviews for one of my books. 24 of them were amazing. I could not believe how this book was making a difference in people's lives. And there was one bad one. And for the next 48 hours, all I could think about was the bad one until I realized, let me... Let me reread the 20 plus good ones. Right. So I hope that you're listening today. You go out and you reread the 20 plus good ones today. So, Anthony, thank you. And I'll talk to you soon. Great day. Love you. You too, man. You too. Look forward to it. Bye bye.